Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep sees the wolf coming. He leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Skip down to verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to me is greater than all, and no one's able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And with that amazing declaration, Lord Jesus, we hear you say very clearly, you and the Father are of the same nature, of the same essence, declaring there, Lord Jesus, your deity, your divinity, and your right to say such things. And so again, good shepherd, lead us in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have a a phrase that we use in my family. I don't know if I've shared this with you before. I, I may have. But the phrase is, anytime one of us are leaving the house, usually it's just me because I'm the only one who, you know, says the dumb, punny stuff around the house. But as I'm leaving the house, I will often say, I'm off. There can be no other explanation. That's the phrase. I'm off. There can be no other explanation. And the truth is, we're all off. I mean, look around We're all off. It's just the way it is. But I'm talking about in our studies in John, we're a little off. See, today's Palm Sunday. And so this is normally the day on our calendars that we celebrate Jesus' glorious entry, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We've taken Palm Sundays in the past. We've done Palm Sunday teaching and focused on that. And then, of course, next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and we teach on the resurrection of Jesus. And and I'm looking at where we are, and and I was praying about it this week. Lord, we're not there yet. We're off. In fact, Palm Sunday doesn't happen until John chapter 12 in the Gospel of John. And then Resurrection Sunday I mean, that's out there. That's John 19, John 20, actually. And we're in John chapter 10. So John chapter 10 ends a good four months before Passover. So we have another 10 chapters to go before we even get to the empty tomb. We're off. There can be no other explanation. But since today is Palm Sunday, and we can't deny that, let's read it. Let's check it out together. Turn over to John chapter 12. Do you realize Palm Sunday is one of those things that is in all four Gospels? Now, if it's in the Bible once, it is good enough for me. It is highly significant. But if it's four times, if it's mentioned in all four of the Gospels, there's a reason God wants us to revisit this and be reminded of this and think about this again and again. 
So John raises the issue of the triumphal entry of Jesus coming down the Mount of Olives, crossing the Kedron Valley, and up into Jerusalem to the shouts and the cries of Hosanna. John records that because it is so significant, so important for us to know. Part of that, by the way, is prophetic because it's in Daniel chapter 9 that the timing of the triumphal entry is laid out in terms of sevens. Shavuim, you may remember John or Daniel chapter 9. If you don't, go read that, be utterly confused, and then we'll talk about it. But, but the angel Gabriel comes to Daniel, and he lays out a specific time frame, and it lands us on the day that Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. But let's read about it. Verse 12 of John chapter 12. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, well, they took the branches of the palm trees. They went out to meet him, and they began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which, by the way, is Psalm 118, verse 26. It's a messianic psalm. It's a prophetic psalm, and they're speaking this because they're thinking along these lines. Even the king of Israel, they shout. And Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, another prophecy. Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Well, these things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, oh, that's a total spoiler. That's not until John chapter 11, but that's okay called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees, verse 19, said to one another, you see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Palm Sunday. The world has gone after him. You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like a shepherd. The world has gone after him. See, shepherds lead and the sheep follow. Now, I, I can be a little off from time to time. So can you. We're all in good company here. But I can be off. I, I can fall behind. I can run out ahead of the Lord. I can find myself wandering away. I need a shepherd. Now, I want to make that very clear before we go any further. I, Rick, I need a shepherd, personally. Some would say, oh, Christianity is a crutch. I need a crutch. But more than a crutch, I need a shepherd. I need one to lead me. I need one to guide me, and so do you. And you may not want to admit it. Many don't. I'm just fine the way I am. Listen, we are all going to be led or driven, shepherded, or coerced. It's going to be one of those. You will either be led in your life or you're going to be driven. You're going to be shepherded or coerced. And by the way, this is just a side note. Many of you are aware of this, but shepherds lead their flocks. Even in the Middle East today, that's how you know the difference between the shepherd and the butcher. The shepherd is the one who leads. He goes first and the flock hear his voice and they follow him. The butcher drives them to the meat market. Shepherds lead, they go first. Butchers drive, they go second. And then, of course, predators, they come along and just scatter the sheep. 
shepherds, butchers, predators. Those are really your options in the world. Amos chapter three, verse 12, an interesting verse. Thus says the Lord, just as the shepherd snatches from the lion's mouth a couple of legs or a piece of an ear, so will the sons of Israel dwelling in Samaria be snatched away. And it was a prophecy soon fulfilled of the Assyrian invasion and the diaspora beginning of the 10 northern tribes of Israel. In fact, Amos finishes that verse saying, with the corner of a bed and the cover of a couch, which means you're gonna be dragged off clinging to the bed sheets, hanging on to the couch for dear life. It's not gonna be pretty. The shepherds of Israel were not vigilant shepherds. Many of them were functioning, acting as hired hands, and so their predators were all too real. Shepherds, butchers, predators, which is it gonna be? Will you be led by the good shepherd, or will you be driven by the butchers of this world, or will you be hunted by the predators? My hope is that you have already chosen to follow the good shepherd, to be a person who is led. But listen to me, of all the portraits of Jesus in the Bible, the good shepherd is probably the most widely recognized. And it's also one of the most, well, one of the least understood, one of the most misunderstood. This idea of the good shepherd, Jesus claims it twice back in John chapter 10. Listen to it again, verse 11. I am the good shepherd, he says. It's the fourth I am statement of Jesus. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then he repeats it in verse 14. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me, even as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I know my sheep intimately. My sheep know me. This is again the fourth, but it is also the most personal of the seven I am statements of Jesus. Seven statements where he says, I am, listen to them, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. He says after this, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And finally he says, I am the true vine. But right there in the middle with this fourth statement, I am the good shepherd. Of all seven, this is the most up close and personal. This one declares the most intimate care day to day, moment to moment, out in the morning, back in the evening, with the sheep, lying with them, eating with them, taking care of them, guarding and protecting them, the good shepherd. This is personal care, not passive. It's devoted, not docile. And I mentioned passive and docile because one of the misnomers, misunderstandings of the good shepherd is this picture, you've seen it, it's an enlightenment painting of this blonde-haired, blue-eyed, powder-blushed, effeminate Jesus, which is not him. It's not him. This picture of a shepherd holding a cuddly lamb, guess what? It's off. There can be no other explanation. That picture is way off. The good shepherd, a shepherd's job was blue-collar tough. It was rugged and sweaty and demanding and even dangerous. It's like cutting down trees, right, Dave? I mean, that's, that's the kind of man we're talking about. If they had had flannel plaid back in those days, Jesus would have worn flannel plaid. 
He's the good shepherd. The good shepherd, strong, powerful, guarding, one that you can stand behind and be safe and know that where he leads you, it's going to be good. Good, the good shepherd. The word good is kalos in the Greek. The good shepherd, the kalos poimen. Kalos means excellent. It's powerful. It's vigorous. This word kalos is often used to speak of a noble nature or a worthy character. Not noble as in terms of a prince or a king as much as noble just of being. He's just noble-minded. He's noble of behavior. He's got a worthy character, the good shepherd. Note this. This is exactly what God said he would allow Moses to see, right? There on the mountain, the burning mountain, Moses said to Yahweh, I pray you, show me your glory, Exodus 33, verse 18. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. In other words, God says, it's my choice. It's my choice. God doesn't owe you, doesn't owe me anything. He chooses to be good to you. He chooses to show you and me compassion. But he said to Moses, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Jesus is the good shepherd. This is a good that distinguishes Jesus in clear contrast from any other. He is good as God is good. Remember the Rich young man comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And here Jesus declares, I am the good shepherd. And one of the things, and we went over this in depth on Wednesday night, one of the things that makes John chapter 10 so significant is this is Jesus absolutely and unequivocally proclaiming himself to be God. The good shepherd. Wednesday night, we talked about the God shepherd. And so this morning, the good shepherd. But understand all that goodness. This is divine goodness. This is godly goodness. This is goodness like no man, like no hired hand. Remember what he said. The hired shepherd flees at the sight in the face of danger. Verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. He is concerned for his own self-interest. Now this is probably a veiled indictment of the bad shepherds of Israel. I couldn't resist it and I'm borrowing that from Jake this last week. It's an indictment, the hired shepherds. You know, I, I, I'll confess to you, I had to think about this. One of the challenges of, of pastoring a church is every pastor is selfish. Every pastor is human. Every pastor seeks for his own self-interest, at least from time to time. And there's a tension there between what is good for me and what is good for our fellowship. Now, I'm not alone in that because there's a tension in all of our lives as we shepherd in our families, in our jobs, in our relationships. As we shepherd, there's a, there's a balance between what's good for those who we lead and what's good for me. 
And the hired shepherd is only concerned about what's good for him. Oh, he'll watch the sheep, you know, as long as the pay is good and as long as there's no threat to himself. But if something better comes along, he's out of there. Or if something dangerous comes along, he's gone. And that is the challenge that we all face in terms of shepherding others is we've got this human side to us. You know, no one is good except God. And so sometimes we flee. But this shepherd is so good, good like God, and yet he's good also because he lays down his life for the sheep. That is by nature, the good shepherd is selfless. By nature, the good shepherd, Jesus, is self-sacrificial. He always puts the interests of the sheep ahead of his own self-interest. Now, a young David kind of prefigured this a little bit, at least, at least in terms of sheep. Back in 1 Samuel 17, verse 34, David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, and I went out after him and attacked him and rescued him from his life, and when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Young David, probably 17 years old at the time, had a bit of bravado, not unlike my son Chris who yesterday at a Taekwondo tournament, just before he was going for sparring, said, Dad, I'm gonna kick this guy in the head. And I said, Chris, Chris. And he's like, no, he wears a helmet, but I get more points for kicking in the head. I'm gonna take him out, kicking him in the head. And I said, well, you know, just, I mean, just play by the rules. Chris goes out there. I don't know where this kid, well, I know where he came from, Ghana, but I don't know <laughs> where he got what he got, but he goes out there <laughs> It's just so awesome. I'm standing there watching, and the first thing he does, he dances around a little bit, little bit and he just goes, boom, high kick to the head, three points. I'm on the sideline, Pastor Rick, and I go, yeah! <laughs> Chris won both matches. He, he won first place, sparring yesterday, so yay, Chris. But then he comes back, and this was worse. Cheryl leaned over and goes, oh, he's really gonna be cocky now. He comes back, I just gotta show you how he walked back to the benches. <laughs> he's like, did you see what I did? I kicked him in the head three times, I won my match. Oh yeah, see my gold medal? You know, he's just, there's work to be done. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, somewhat like David. Now David was, was, you know, he was boasting in going after the lion, going after the bear, but you know what, he had a right to boast. He did go after the lion or the bear. He did take them out. He did save the lamb. So he goes on to say to Saul, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. Now here's the thing about David. David's confidence was in the Lord. So while David, like you and me, needed to be led himself, he had some growing up to do. God was gonna take him through the next decade of teaching him what it's like to have to trust. But, but David at least trusted the Lord. In that moment, he knew God was with him. It takes character. That is character. It's godly character in a man, in a woman, that decides to stand and fight rather than take flight. And it is love for the sheep that makes the shepherd stay. And turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. This is the one, first of several places I want you to go with me. Luke chapter 15. 
where at another time, Jesus is describing this mentality, the mentality of the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, he says, but in Luke 15, verse four, he says, what man among you, if he has a 100 sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, I found my sheep which was lost. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And the thing is, when Jesus shares this parable, when he says, what shepherd among you would do this? Well, I don't know that all of them would. You gotta think about whether or not that's a practical thing to do. Leave your 99 to go after one stupid, foolish little lamb? I don't know that every shepherd would always do that. Maybe some would if the pasture was safe and he knew that the region, the area was safe, or maybe if he had a co-shepherd there, watch the, watch the sheep, I'm going after the little one, maybe. But think about this just practically, economically. I've got 99 good sheep right here. I might lose one every now and then. I I told everybody when we went to Israel, I don't guarantee that we're gonna bring everybody back. (laughs) We actually, we do. We did. Well, we didn't, but they all got back. Praise the Lord, everybody's home. But while a shepherd like David or in the parable might make a risky rescue, it's not in the best interest of the rest of the sheep if he dies. If the shepherd goes after the one and he's killed fighting the bear or the lion, what happens to the rest of the sheep? They be left wandering and vulnerable and exposed. Listen to me, what makes the good shepherd such a good shepherd is that he knows our mortal danger, he took that mortality upon himself, and he knew, he knew that though he was going to lay down his life for the sheep, he would take it up again that he would draw us even closer in his resurrection. This is the good shepherd who can go after the one, who can die for the one because he's gonna live for the 99 even after the fact. He's here for us. He didn't leave us. As he says later in John, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, and he does five times. We talked about midweek. Five times he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. That's an act of grace. Two times he says, I will take it up again. And no other shepherd is so inherently good that they can not only risk themselves to lay down their lives for the sheep, but they take it back up again so they can care for the rest of the sheep and continue on as the good shepherd, really the great shepherd eternally. And that's Jesus. Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. Yes, he laid down his life for the sheep, but yes, he took it back up again. This is why we celebrate this this Palm Sunday. Because Jesus went into Jerusalem knowing he was coming to die. 
The beginning of the week began with songs of praise. The end of the week ended with cries for murder and his death. Jesus knew that would happen, but then the beginning of the next week was life, resurrected life. He's the good shepherd. And understand that if not for his resurrection, we would all be left for dead. His goodness is counted as great because he took his life back up again. And now, as the Hebrew pastor said, God works directly through the sheep by his spirit, the spirit of Christ within us. He works in us to be better shepherds and to be more following sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. Please understand that someone just needs to hear this this morning. He didn't die and leave you. He didn't die and leave you. He is with you. Look at verse 14, John chapter 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. And by the way, that's how the shepherds would distinguish between their flocks. Because at night, they would all often come in, bringing all the flocks together, and they would keep them all together when they were in the village, in the town. But they would lead them back out, and the way they distinguished is the shepherd knew the sheep, and the sheep knew the shepherd. He'd just call their names, and his sheep would come running out and follow after him. The others wouldn't because they didn't know his voice. He knows his own, and his own know him. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And note this, he says, my sheep hear. He doesn't say my sheep heard. This is active. This is present. Again, because our shepherd laid down and took up his life. And this idea we, we talk about so often of hearing the Lord, truly hearing the Lord, not because you can have some fantastic experience, not because you can say, oh, well, God told me this yesterday and, and it makes you a little more righteous than the person who's like, well, I don't know, I, don't, I haven't heard him. We hear him, first and foremost, through his word. We hear him and he speaks to us. And you know the dynamic of that because you have been in his word at times and you have revelation as you are in his word and you go, oh, and that's because you have just heard the Lord. We hear him. We stand by and upon his word and we are shepherded by his spirit. And that's so important because in the world in which we live, especially today, there are so many voices ringing in our ears. So many loud, everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's got an idea. Everyone's got a life hack. Everyone's writing a blog. Everyone's shouting on TikTok. It's just this constant barrage of noise. No, man, I feel like the Grinch sometimes. Oh, the noise, 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 noise. I need it quiet. I need my shepherd to lead me beside quiet waters. Quiet waters. Now I'm getting ahead of myself, but just think about that phrase. Quiet waters. Waters, the living water, the spirit of God. And when I listen to him, everything else is quiet. When I'm not listening to him, it's a cacophony. This is a noisy world, and the noisier the better as far as the predators are concerned. As far as the devil's concerned, the more noise he can insert into your life, the more he will. But the good shepherd, leads us to a place of quiet by his spirit where we can hear him and listen and follow. Paul said to Timothy in the church of the last days, 
2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Now, yes, he's talking about sound, worthy, whole, good doctrine, but they won't even be listening. He says, wanting to have their ears tickled. Listen closely, because I know you're familiar, most of you, with this verse. But listen, wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Those desires might not even be bad, folks. In accordance with their own desires might be, I need a good parenting book. I need something on marriage. I need some self-help book that's gonna give me direction in my life. And so we pile the books on the shelves and we go listen to the teachers who are teaching what we need to hear in that season. You know what I've learned? What I think I need to hear is not what I need to hear. What I assume is best for me is not what's best for me. You know what's best for me? His voice, his word. I've gone round and round about this with some people who say, hey, why don't you take a break on Palm Sunday and just do the Palm Sunday teaching? Why don't you teach on Mother's Day something for moms? I mean, we've been, <laughs> we've been on Mother's Day before, like somewhere deep in the book of Job, and it wasn't pretty. <laughs> I don't know what you need to hear. He does. He always knows. And so he speaks so that we can hear, so that we don't, as Paul said, turn away our ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. Man, we need to take that as a warning, yes, against false teachers, but also against our tendency to accumulate teachers with whom we agree, or teachers that are speaking our language, or meeting our personal need in the moment. He knows your need. Listen to him. Always cracks me up when, when someone will grab one of, our, one of our leaders, one of our pastors, one of our shepherds and, and say, hey, I, I need some prayer time and they'll drag them out into the foyer during the service so that they can have some prayer time and I always say, and this is just my opinion, so just one more loud voice here, but my opinion is you're out there, maybe what God wanted to say is right here. So why not come in and listen first and then by all means, let's pray together. Let's spend that time, but don't jip yourself out of the word of God so that you can get some special prayer for something you think you need when God knows what you need. My, my sheep hear my voice. He says it so clearly, and I know them, and they follow me. Well, how do we know? I mean, how do we know if the shepherding is good? How do we even know if, if it's, it's his voice? Hey, there's only one good shepherd, and I'm telling you, we better know his voice. Well, how do I do that? You're doing it right now. And every time you open his word, you're doing it. You are tuning, as it were, your ears to hear his voice. I've used this example so many times. It's like the old radio dial. We used to have to dial radios, you know, back in the day to find the station and to tune into that station. And that's what Bible study does. That's what opening the word of God does. It tunes our ears to the right frequency to hear our Lord and to know what his desire is for us. Jesus said this in Revelation chapter three, verse 20. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. But here's the thing about that verse. It is a verse to the church of the last days. Jesus is speaking to the lethargic church, the Laodicean church, the church that doesn't really think you can hear God. 
The church is not really paying attention to what God is saying because they're accumulating for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And Jesus says to this church, I'm knocking, I'm here. Hear my voice, open the door, and guess what we'll do? We'll eat together. In other words, I'll feed you. I'll lead you to green pasture. I'll make sure you get what you need. He is knocking at the door of the last day's church, and I'll tell you what, that knocking is continual, but it's all this other noise all around us that makes it hard to hear the knocking. Verse 28 of John chapter 10, he says, I give eternal life to them. And that is, again, that is a God thing. That is deity. No one can give eternal life unless they themselves are eternal, the eternal God. I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, note this, because the wording is interesting to me. No one will snatch them out of my hand, Jesus says, And then he says, my father who has given to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch out of the father's hand. Once God has a hold, you can't take him out. And Jesus says the same thing about his hand. Why? Same hand. He is of one nature, one essence with God, which is why he says in verse 30, I and the Father are one. I remind you from Wednesday night again, both the Greek syntax and the context make this absolutely clear. When Jesus says, I and the Father are one, the good shepherd declared himself God. No question about it. The good shepherd is divinely great. And the people knew it. They knew what he was saying. I and the Father are one. In verse 31, they picked up stones to stone him. Why would they do that? Because he's making himself equal to God. And they were offended by it. And they even say as such the next verse. When Jesus says, what are you, I showed you so many good works. Which one are you stoning me for? Which is a great statement. And they say, for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself out God. They knew what he was saying. There's your context. If you wonder, what was Jesus really saying? They knew. He's making himself to be God, the good shepherd. But you know what's amazing? And here's where I want to go with the rest of our time. This was not new information. When Jesus began to declare himself the good shepherd, again, saying it twice, I am the good shepherd, he fulfilled an unmistakable messianic meme that this has been around for century upon century, for millennia, the idea of God, of Messiah, as shepherd. And I'd like you to see this. Get ready to run the Old Testament here. This is not a radical theological shift for Israel. This shouldn't have been a hard one to understand. This had been explained again and again and again. And the very first time we hear this implied is all the way back in Genesis chapter 49. So turning your Bibles back to Genesis 49, get your fingers limbered up because we're gonna make a run through the Hebrew scriptures. Genesis chapter 49. The first time we hear of this shepherd of Israel This this shepherd who's going to come is in the bedside blessing by Jacob of his 12 sons, the sons of Israel. Jacob is Israel. Israel is Jacob. And so very subtly, we learn first off, and if you want to jot this down, note this, that he is, the good shepherd is the shepherd rejected and raised up. He is the shepherd rejected 
and raised up. All the way back in Genesis 49, listen to this. Look at verse one. Jacob summoned his sons and said, assemble yourselves that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. And the implication is in the last days, at the end of time, in the days to come, gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, listen to Israel, your father. Down in verse 22. So he begins to bless each one of the sons and he comes to Joseph. Verse 22, Joseph is a fruitful bough. Joseph is a bough by a spring. Branches that run over a wall. The archers bitterly attacked him. They shot at him and harassed him but his bow remained firm and his arms were agile from the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. Listen, from there is the shepherd. First time we hear it. From the arms of the mighty one. That is from the arms of God. There is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you know your Bible, you know Jesus is not in the line of Joseph. He's in the line of Judah. So the shepherd should have been mentioned in Judah's line. Shouldn't Jacob be blessing Judah with a Messiah prophecy? Well, he does. Look back in verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. By the way, I call that the messianic window because God says that Israel's gonna have full rule, that there's still going to be that that ability to self-rule until Shiloh, until Messiah comes. So when that's taken away, you know the window's closed. You know that Messiah can't come after that time of self-rule was denied, and that happened, my friends, oh, long about 12 AD, when Rome took away the right of self-rule, removed capital punishment and the ability to execute that from the Jewish people. And they realized in that moment, their self-rule was over. And so it had to happen before that. That is, Messiah had to be on earth before that. Well, he was. Because right at that same time, Jesus was a 12-year-old boy in Jerusalem. So this idea of Messiah and the scepter shall not depart from Judah until he comes, until Messiah comes. So there is a, there is a blessing to the line of Judah about the Messiah. But why... Are we over here in Joseph where it says there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel? And I'll tell you why. Because Joseph is a type of Messiah. Because Joseph's very life is the shepherd rejected and raised up. That's Joseph. Joseph was a shepherd, by the way. He was rejected by his own, betrayed and imprisoned, but he left for dead, but he rose up from the dungeons of Egypt to rule, and he ruled like the son of a king. Joseph, his whole life is a picture in type of this coming shepherd, of the coming Messiah, of Jesus. By the way, Psalm 88 is a great picture of that. I always read Psalm 88 when we're at the house of Caiaphas in Israel because it speaks of one in a dungeon in a pit where Jesus was held, and it's such a parallel, this amazing picture of Joseph and of Jesus. And remember, this good shepherd teaching, by the way, it follows, it follows the healing of the blind man. 
I, I like to make these really profound statements that chapter 10 follows chapter 9. I, I like to, because it really shows the depth of my wisdom. Chapter 10 follows chapter 9. And it's amazing because chapter 10, we see now the good shepherd who has gone and found the man born blind, kicked out of the synagogue. He went to find him. That's what the shepherd does. He goes to get him. And I mention that because the rejected shepherd understands rejection. And if that's you, someone who has been rejected, has known rejection, has felt rejection, whether recently or in the past, the good shepherd was rejected. He gets it. In the same way Joseph was rejected. Now, the old rabbis in Talmud, they try to explain what they don't understand about the divergent pictures of the Messiah. Because the Hebrew scriptures give two very unique pictures of this coming Messiah, and it's hard to, uh, it's hard to work them together to understand how they fit. One is the suffering shepherd, the rejected shepherd. And so the old rabbis refer to him as Messiah ben Joseph. Mashiach ben Yosef. So the, the, the Joseph-like Messiah, the one who was rejected and imprisoned but then raised up. But the shepherd doesn't come from Joseph, and so they also call him Messiah ben David, the king. So there's Messiah, the one who suffered, who was rejected and raised up, but there's also Messiah, the king, and, and they talk about two Messiahs trying to figure out which one is, is which. And with the Jewish mindset, the Messiah is simply an anointed leader, not God. They go, oh, well, maybe there's gonna be a Messiah ben Joseph and a Messiah ben David. Two different messiahs. Some actually teach and believe that in Jewish faith, or at least they used to. What an amazing thing to realize that they are both one and the same. That Messiah ben Joseph, the rejected Messiah, was also raised up like Messiah ben David. He is one and the same. And by the way, Asaph gives us the next image of Messiah in David. I'm just gonna read this one to you real quickly. Psalm 78 Verse 71, like David, he is the Messiah who is the shepherd raised to rule. So number one, he's the rejected and raised up shepherd. Number two, he is the shepherd raised to rule. Psalm 78, verse 71, from the care of the ewes with suckling lambs, he brought him, that is David, to shepherd Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he shepherded them, that is David, according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with his skillful hands. So you have the shepherd king. Messiah ben Joseph, the rejected shepherd. Messiah ben David, the ruling shepherd. And to this day, the Jewish community struggles to reconcile those two images. I hope you know, by the way, for all the contrast that I've made recently about Jews and Christians, specifically regarding Messiah, I hope you know how much I love the people of Israel. I hope you know that it is never spoken to denigrate the Jewish people. That is never the intention. We are not of the replacement theology ilk in this church. We support and know God has a plan for Israel, a marvelous plan, and Jesus is that Jewish shepherd first to the Jew, but also to the Gentile. More on that in just a minute. Rejected and ruler, the next prophetic picture is, turn over to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, he is the shepherd of rest 
and restoration. Rest and restoration. Now, now please turn there, Psalm 23, because I wanna do something here. I wanna trade verses with you. So I'll read the first verse and you read the second and I'll do the third, you got the fourth, I got the fifth and you do the sixth, okay? So we'll do this back and forth. I wanna hear these words. You need to hear these words coming out of your own mouths. So here we go, Psalm 23. I got verse one, you got verse two and so on and so forth. You with me? All right, here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Amen. By the way, quiet waters, if your Bible says still waters, no. He does not lead you to still, dead, tepid waters. He leads you by quiet waters. But the waters flow just as his spirit flows in us. And as I said earlier, that picture of quiet waters, that place where I am listening to the voice of many waters. Now, when he's the voice of many waters, this is more like a waterfall. And there is no other sound but the sound of his voice. Quiet water speaks of his spirit and where he leads us and where he feeds us. Verse three, he restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Verse four. Amen, amen. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, by the way, that's this world. We live in the valley of the shadow of death. It is always there. We forget about it for a time. We ignore it, but it's there. And then someone passes away and we have a memorial service to go to and it is all too real once again. That's the valley we're in. But even in that valley, he's there. The shepherd is with us and leading us. The good shepherd is alongside us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, which I gotta admit to me sounds a little bit like, ha <laughs> ha, we're well fed. You can attack, you can come after us, but he's still feeding his people. He is still preparing good food for us. You anoint my head with oil, and I, I read that specifically, it is perfect tense. You anoint my head with oil. It's not you have anointed one time back there in the past. You anoint, this is ongoing present tense action of the Holy Spirit anointing you on a daily ongoing basis. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows, and you've got verse six. You guys sound like many waters right there. <laughs> Let's read it one more time together. It's so good. Ready? Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the great desire. That's the hope. That's where we're going home to be with the shepherd forever. How many of you have memorized this song? Okay, come on up. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you know the psalm, the 23rd psalm, along with the good shepherd picture, this psalm is one of the most famous, the most well-known in all the Bible. Even among non-believers, people are aware of the 23rd psalm. How many of you guys had, had those, uh, those free glossy posters you could pick up at a Christian bookstore when you were kids and, and you put the poster on the wall? Anyone else have one of those? Okay, well, I really feel sorry for you. 
It was a picture of the good shepherd with the cuddly little sheep and, and Psalm 23 right there. And I had it right up there on my wall, on one side of the wall, and the other side was kissed with Gene Simmons spitting blood. But let's not talk about that. I told you, I'm a little off. But the good shepherd, and by the way, note this, jot this down, and I'm repeating myself again from midweek. Psalm 23 is, is encompassed between Psalm 22 and Psalm 24. Psalm 22 is the good shepherd's cross. It is the psalm of the cross. Psalm 23 is the good shepherd's crook, we could say. That shepherd's crook as he leads us now in this age, from cross through this age, through the valley, even of the shadow of death. That's Psalm 23. And then Psalm 24, guess what that's all about? The chief shepherd's crown. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king may come in. And that's, that's our chief shepherd in his return. 22, 23, 24 are meant to be taken together. But Psalm 23, brothers and sisters, is for today. It's for now. And it has been called the most beloved and the least believed chapter of the Bible. Most beloved least believed. We love to hear these words. We repeat these words. We say these words. We find comfort in these words. But do we believe these words? Do you rest in him? Are you restored in him? Do you go to him for those, for rest and for restoration? If the Lord is my shepherd, my good shepherd, you know what that means? It means he's responsible to feed me. He is responsible to care for me, to shelter me, to protect me, to provide for me, to go with me, even if it's to the doctor's office for the bad news. He is responsible to be there and to oversee my life. Do you believe that? And when times of stress and heartache and turmoil come to us, what do I believe? We start to find out what we believe when life gets hard, when the shadows of death draw near. But he's my good Shepherd, believe him for the psalm. Believe him for his words. Don't get panicky in the pasture. <laughs> Don't get freaked out and frazzled in the field. He is our rest. He is our rest. Dennis Prager. I made a lot of quotes from this midweek too. This is all just spinning around in my head. This is kind of a continuation of, of our midweek teaching. But he's on a, a, a YouTube video, you got to see this called Ask a Jew, Ask a Gentile. If you just look that up, you'll find it. Ask a Jew, Ask a Gentile with Dennis Prager and Jack Hibbs. And Dennis Prager says a lot of interesting things coming from the Jewish perspective. He's probably the most well-known Jew on the planet today because of his radio show and all of his appearances and everything. And, and I love Dennis Prager. The guy's brilliant. He said this. He said, asking the, the Christian pastors that he was speaking with, he said, if you only learned the Sabbath from us, you would have an infinitely richer Christian life. If you only learn the Sabbath from us. And then he turns to the pastors and he says, I have a question for you. I'd like to hear your answer on this. Are Christians obligated to keep Sabbath? And then he sits back, kind of smiling. And he says, because I've asked many, many pastors over the years and many priests are Christians obligated to keep Sabbath. It's kind of quiet for a moment. You can hear the crowd a little restless. 
Here's the response. Luke chapter six, verse five. Jesus said, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Are Christians obligated? First of all, the problem that I have with that is the word obligated. Obligated. Devoted? Yeah. Obedient unto? Absolutely. Are we obligated? Is it required of you, required of me to keep the Sabbath if we're gonna make it into heaven? And I would say, not obligated in that way. But do we keep the Sabbath? Listen to me. Colossians chapter two, verse 16. Paul says, therefore, no one is to act as your judge with respect to Dennis Prager. No one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Here's the answer. Are we obligated to keep the Sabbath? Hey, listen, the Sabbath keeps me. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. So that I don't keep just one day a week of rest. And by the way, I would advise you that a day a week of rest is good. Rest in the Lord, Shabbat in the Lord, not to find salvation for yourself, not to buy your way into heaven, but to rest in the Lord. It's a great idea. It's a beautiful concept. But I have Sabbath every time I look to Jesus. He is my Shabbat. He is my rest. Do we know how to rest in Jesus? It really comes down to knowing the good shepherd as he is, and he is our rest. He is our rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I say, how can you promise that, Lord? You gotta be careful as a parent what you promise your kids, because they're gonna hold you to it. And if I promise my kids we're going to Disneyland, which I don't really want to do anymore, by the way, if I promise my kids we're going to Knott's Berry Farm and something falls through and we can't go, sorry, kids. This isn't like that kind of promise. This isn't I'll do my best to get you some rest. He says, come to me and I will give you rest because he is our rest. How can he make that promise? Psalm 80, verse one, oh, give ear, Shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth. That's the shepherd, and he has that kind of power, he can give you rest. Psalm 95, verse 6, a psalm written, we think, by the exiles. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. My friends, number four, he is the shepherd God. He is the shepherd God. The shepherd rejected, the shepherd raised to rule, the shepherd of rest, and he is our shepherd God. Stay with that and turn now on over to Isaiah chapter 40. Just keep going right. Isaiah chapter 40 in the Hebrew scriptures. The prophet now will pick up the palette and add to this portrait of the good shepherd that, again, this, this picture has been painted throughout Hebrew history. As Isaiah now is speaking of this truth, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9, get yourself up on a high mountain, 
O Zion, bearer of good news, lift up your voice mightily. O Jerusalem, bearer of good news, lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord will come with might with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense is before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom and he will gently lead the nursing ewes. Well, he who? He who? Is this Messiah or is this God? And the Hebrew Bible makes no distinction. Messiah's coming, God with us, Emmanuel. By the way, does verse 10 sound at all familiar? Behold, the Lord will come with his might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense is before him. Well, that's exactly what Jesus says. Revelation twenty two twelve. 12, behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. That is my recompense is before me. And so Jesus God, Messiah, our good shepherd. Keep going to the right to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the next prophet. Chapter 31, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 10. Jeremiah 31, 10. Come on, we gotta move. Turn those pages, here we go. Jeremiah 31, verse 10, hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare in the coastlands afar off, and by the way, coastlands is also islands, so this is very applicable to us this morning. Declare in the islands afar off and say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and redeemed him from the hand of him who is stronger than he. They will come and shout for joy on the height of Zion. They will be radiant over the bounty of the Lord, over the grain and the new wine and the oil, over the young of the flock and the herd, and their life will be like a watered garden, like, I would say, quiet waters. And they will never languish again. And the virgin will rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old together for I will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them and give them joy for their sorrow. I will fill the soul of the priest with abundance and my people will be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. This is he who scattered but now who gathers. This is the shepherd who keeps his flock. Verse 15 then says, Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah. Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. The people of the Lord scattered. The weeping in Ramah as the infants were slain at the birth of Messiah, at the time of his birth. And yet the Lord says, I will gather them. Who who will gather them? Yahweh. Yahweh who scattered them now will gather them. But before he comes to gather, before he comes to gather, there will be the bitter weeping. Keep going. He is the shepherd God. Go on over to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, Ezekiel 34. And I just want you to see these, maybe notate these, and you can go back over these when you have a chance. Ezekiel 34. Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. So it's just a book over. 
Chapter 34, verse 11, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Who says that? Yahweh God. As a shepherd, verse 12, cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep. I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and on a gloomy day. Verse 13, I will bring them out from the places and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing ground will be on the heights, the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock. I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. He is the shepherd. Skip all the way down to verse 31. As for you, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, you are men for I am your God, declares the Lord God. The shepherd. He is the shepherd. He's the one shepherd. And the one shepherd here alludes to Messiah ben David coming in his glory, not David himself, but Messiah ben David, the good shepherd. What about David, by the way? What's gonna be the deal with David? Because you may recall in Psalm 16, verse 10, David said, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. So as Messiah comes and as the kingdom opens up, what about David? What's his part in all this? You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, David says, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. In verse 23 of Ezekiel 34, I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them, and he will feed them himself and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Who's he talking about? Is that David? Is David gonna resurrect and, and come back to rule? Listen, I don't have time to really go deep into this, but... I believe that David will be resurrected, as with all the Hebrew saints, will be resurrected for the kingdom because the kingdom is promised to them. And he will be resurrected, and I believe that David himself is gonna govern in the millennial kingdom the nation of Israel. He will govern while Jesus rules as the shepherd king from Jerusalem over all the world. And you can think that one through. There are a couple more pastors. Real quickly, we need to see. Turn on over. Keep going right until you get to the book of Micah. Micah, this is in what they call the minor prophets, but there's nothing minor about what Micah has to share with us. Micah chapter five. Two more passages, and we'll get through this. Passages again. Do, do you see this meme throughout the Hebrew scriptures? The good shepherd, the shepherd, the shepherd God. I'm the shepherd of Israel. By the way, we come to Micah chapter five, and this is the fifth one in our notes. He is the shepherd of profound peace. The shepherd of profound peace. Micah chapter five, verse two, as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah. 
too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel, and his goings forth are from long ago, from days of eternity, which can only speak of he who is divine. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. And then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. He will arise, that is arise, that is stand up. He will stand up and shepherd in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God, and they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one, verse five, this one will be our peace. Note that because we already saw that he's our rest. The good shepherd is our rest. We find our rest in him because of him and by him and through him. He's our rest, but he's also our peace. He's our Shabbat, but he's also our shalom. And there is a vast difference between Shabbat and shalom. Shabbat speaks of a day of rest. It speaks of coming to rest. Shalom is the condition of peace. Shabbat is we have a break from things. We're able to come away and be with Jesus and find restoration in that moment. But shalom, peace, this is, this is inherent. Okay, this is an inherent peace that the good shepherd gives even in bad situations. So you can be in a bad situation and go, I need some rest and run to Jesus and find rest. But the shalom that is spoken of here, he himself is our peace. This means in the middle of the mountain storm, I'm at peace. In the midst of the raging sea, I am at peace. In the middle of the mess that is, in, that is my life, he is my peace. That condition of peace, of shalom, is promised through Jesus. I love Fridays in Israel because what's on everybody's lips? Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom, they say to one another, Shabbat shalom. And Jesus is both. He is Shabbat. He is shalom. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart, your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We'll keep going to the right. Last one, Zechariah chapter seven. Zechariah chapter seven. He's the shepherd of our profound peace, but he is also the shepherd struck down. The shepherd struck down. We began with the shepherd rejected. Here is the shepherd struck down in prophecy. Zechariah chapter 13, verse seven. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Against the man, my associate, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered and I will turn my hand against the little ones. The shepherd struck down. Matthew 26, 31, Jesus applied this to himself when he said, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And then Matthew 26, 56 said, all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets and all the disciples left him and fled. So the shepherd was struck and the disciples, the followers fled. The sheep ran for their lives. Jesus says in John 16, 32, behold, an hour is coming and has come for you to be scattered, each to his own, and to leave me alone. And yet, he says, I am not alone, 
because the Father is with me. That's what makes him so good. The good shepherd. He is inherently good. The goodness of God is inherent with Jesus. The Father is with the Son, as is the Spirit. He is the good shepherd. Is your life scattered? Do you feel sometimes just like fleeing? More and more, I'm hearing brothers and sisters, and I'm feeling it myself, say, I just want him to come now. I'm done. I don't want to hear about another foolish law. I don't want to see another ridiculous mandate. I am tired of this world. I'm tired of the loud, cacophonous voices. I just want to go home. Hey, if you feel scattered, he is the good shepherd, and he will not run when evil comes. Maybe you're wandering lost. Know what Jesus said when he saw the children of Israel? He looked out over the people, and he had this deep sensibility. Matthew 9, 36, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And sheep without a shepherd is dumb. I've said that before. Let me repeat this quote because I think it's very accurate to say it this way. Sheep is dumb. He's just dumb. You know there are true accounts of sheep following one another and one falls off a cliff and the rest just keep going until they end up in the bottom as a hot woolly mess? They will blindly follow whatever sheep is right in front of them. That's where they'll go. And whatever happens to that sheep happens to them. We need a shepherd. Amen? We need a shepherd. We don't need more sheep to follow. Told someone on this last tour, I used to have a sweater that I would bring on the tour and wear. It says, do not follow me. (laughs) We don't need more sheep to follow. We need a shepherd. We need the shepherd. We don't need hired hands who are gonna run off at the sign of danger. The reality is Isaiah 53, verse six says, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. We need a shepherd greater than the sheep. And it's no wonder that Jesus used this good shepherd image to prequel his declaration of deity, his godness. Go back to John 10, let's finish up. John chapter 10, verse 30. Let me repeat it again. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Listen, the reason for this exercise in the Hebrew scriptures this morning was to show you the shepherd God, the shepherd throughout the Hebrew scriptures that this picture had been well painted all the way up to Jesus coming. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he is speaking as God and Messiah, both pictured in the shepherd. God and Messiah, Messiah of Israel and the world. Man, before we ever get to the New Testament, the shepherd meme is there. Before we ever read Jesus' words in John 10, before he ever spoke them, it was declared that he is the good shepherd. The good shepherd. And listen, last point. I love this. Point number seven. Number six was he's the shepherd struck. Point number seven, he is the shepherd reconciler. 
the shepherd reconciler. Verse 16 of John chapter 10, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. What fold, Jesus? Israel. The Jewish people, the fold of God. I have other sheep, he says, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice. There it is again. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. I love that. Because right here in the most powerful picture in the New Testament, this picture of the, of the good shepherd, as Jesus declares himself speaking to the flock of Israel, he also talks about you and me. I got another flock. I've got another flock, and I'm gonna go get them. And I'm gonna join them together. And in the New Testament, we see this. In fact, just over in John chapter 11, verse 49, gonna give you a heads up here. We're gonna look at this on Good Friday of this week. Good Friday service at 6.30, but listen to it, a little sneak preview. John chapter 11, verse 49, one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nice guy, really, good guy. Nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. And he's calling for the death penalty for Jesus. He wants Jesus killed. I love what John says. Now, he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. Caiaphas is just piping off his big mouth, but he's prophesying. Verse 52, and not for the nation only but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. The children of God who are scattered abroad all the way back in John chapter one, what was it that John wrote? John chapter one, verse 12. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God, the good shepherd, goes and he finds the other flock. And he brings us all together, one flock, one shepherd. And he is so, so good. Galatians 3.28 tells us, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus, one flock, one shepherd of the flock. Ephesians chapter two, verse 11. Just listen to this. Paul writes, therefore, remember that formerly you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. And I can tell you, and I'm really not trying to embarrass you, Hank, but I can tell you there's one person, in, well, no, two, in the whole room this morning who had the promises, who to this day had the covenants, who could rest knowing that their Messiah had come. The rest of us didn't have that. The rest of us were on the outside. The rest of us had no hope in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you formerly who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace, Micah chapter five, who made both groups into one, Jew and Gentile, Paul is saying, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is happening right now. 
We're watching prophetically the dividing wall between Jew and Christian is crumbling. And there are Jews like Dennis Prager, like Moshe in Israel. There are Jews who are saying, wait a minute, we have to dialogue here. We gotta have a conversation here. And there are Christians who are saying, I understand now, finally, God's plan for the people of Israel and that we're the flock that he's brought in to join with the flock. That we get to be part of this together. Paul says, verse 19 of Ephesians 2, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but, but you are fellow citizens with the saints speaking of Israel, and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building is being fitted together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit, one flock, one shepherd. And he is so, so good. Let me just finish with verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Do you? It's why he came, that we would follow. For the scattered, the distressed, the dispirited, Jesus laid down his life. Jesus took it back up again so that he, the good shepherd, could keep his sheep. And that's you and me. Father, thank you for painting this picture for us. Thank you, Lord, for the breadth of the palette, for, for the canvas that is so broad, so wide. Genesis through Revelation, we see the picture. We recognize the good shepherd in Jesus. And Father, we all need to be shepherded. Someone this morning, someone this morning is feeling absolutely dispirited. Someone else is feeling scattered today. Someone else among us is lost. And there's only one answer for all. Jesus, it's you, the good shepherd. Shepherd us home, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.